Welcome back. Welcome back. <clears throat> Always have a sore throat at the evening service from too much yelling from the morning service. <laughs> well, we are going to be back in uh, Romans, continuing on there. <clears throat> and we're going to be in uh, Romans 1, starting in chapter number 16. Uh, Paul really introduces the theme of his letter uh, the righteousness of God, and it's a, and as he reveals the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ, and he starts out here um, after this in, uh, this introduction, he introduces his kind of his uh, thesis statement, if you will, this this letter to the Romans, uh, and these two these first two in verses sixteen and seventeen of the importance. Uh, of the of this message in general in verse number 16 it says for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ and i tell you we could almost probably just stop there and in this message uh and you can all go home and watch the super bowl but we're not gonna so just kidding uh but you think about that message just there for a moment and we think about uh the the things that <clears throat> paul has gone through in his life just to preach the gospel. I mean, really think, you know, I don't know if you read my daily journey this morning, um, and if I got the same one as I remembered as I'm going in my mind right now, I, I kept thinking that, you know, I, I like to see picture books and magazines and things like flip through the pictures because I can get kind of lost in that stuff there. I have one of those minds that likes to wander. So when I'm reading, I can sit there and be reading along and flipping pages. And next thing I know, I'm going, oh, I don't know what I read. I need to go back and read it again. I, I, I daydream a lot. I kind of chase. But in picture books, I can go see these places like the, the Mayan temples. Or I can go see the pyramids. And I can focus. When I'm reading this scripture, I can picture hearing not this audio voice, this audible voice, but I can picture being in these places. And I can picture Paul saying that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I can picture this letter that goes to these, to these folks, to these Romans. I can picture him going and telling these folks that I am not ashamed of the gospel. I can picture him walking out in the wilderness. I can picture him being stoned. And I can picture him uh, you know, being beaten and being imprisoned and still unashamed. To preach the gospel. We get, and I don't want to say shame, and I don't want to ruffle feathers, but we get uh, offended if someone says, I don't want to hear it. And we don't want to say it no more because we got our little feelings hurt. Here's a man that got locked in the stockades and stoned and left for dead who was unashamed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a testimony to, to that we could live up to. I mean, it's a tough one to live up to it. But think about it. I mean, if you, can, if you can picture things in the Bible, and again, I say that because a lot of people struggle reading the Bible, especially if you do it like I do it, and you read it from cover to cover. And then I start over and I read from cover. And I start over and I read from cover to cover. And I've done that for years where I've gone through and I've read every book, I've read every word, I've read every sentence, and I've gone through and I've done it again. And I can still go through it today and find something that I didn't catch the last three or four or five times. It's amazing. But can you just a picture the guy sitting here, this apostle sitting here and saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for what just a wonderful message uh, for all Christians. This message that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that, that the gospel of Christ ought to stand above everything that we do in our lives and every opinion of the things that are go on in our lives and every work that goes on in our lives ought to be built on this gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I thank those who are willing to come out tonight and, uh, and hear your word. And I pray that you just be with us through this message and that this message will just... Man, it will stomp all over our toes and it will it will pierce our hearts that, that we are not ashamed to not only hear, but to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Verse number one says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, that is as written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hath told the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made to like to the uncorruptible, to the corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed beasts and the creepy things. Whew, that's a tough one to hear that, you know, when you hear about some of the things that just kind of take place. But this verse one, you know, as I as I already preached a lot about this verse one, you know, Paul reveals his heart. This this in this sophisticated city, this city that was probably uh, beyond its times when you think about it. You know, there's there's still places in the in in Rome that are still standing from these times. When you think about the Colosseums and the pillars, and I mean, they were they were really ahead of their times and the things that they were built and the things that were designed and the way that they, they did things and the way that they, they built these transportation systems and their, and their weapons and the things that they had, they were just, they were sophisticated. Some might be embarrassed by the gospel centered on the crucified Jewish Savior and embraced by the lowest classes of people. But Paul wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed to go there. If you remember last week, we talked about Paul had uh, written this letter and let him know that he was, he was excited about going there. He was excited to go talk to them. He was excited to preach the gospel. Even though um, there were plenty of people that Paul knew, he hadn't been there. He hadn't built the church there, but he knew people that were going there. And he knew that, that he was going to go to not only give something, but to get something, to, be that, to get that spiritual uplift that he needed. In uh, Psalms 40 and 9, it says, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained from my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from thy great congregation. Jesus also gives us his insight to his word. And 
and, and like I said this morning, um, what Jesus says that, that, that if man, if, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before the Father. Where Jesus feels the same way about the word. Mark 8 and 38 says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he cometh to glory of his father by the with the holy angels who that i tell you what you know when you got to take time to pause and think about what that really means and and you know i think scripture ought to be that way it's a personal opinion. It's a personal feeling. It, it, ought to, it ought not to be something that we're just kind of reading on through. It ought to be something that we stop and really think about. Think about the words that Jesus just says here in Mark 38 for a minute. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. You know, oftentimes, you've, you've heard me mention this before, I compare our times with those times of then. I compare our times all the way back to the times of Noah. I was telling a man the other, just the other day, I said, can you imagine, can you imagine how bad the world had to be that it repented God that he made man? And I look out there and I see today, and then you see this word here, it says, those that will be ashamed of me and my words... Of this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is a place where they uh, they thought that they knew best. You know, they were they were well studied. Maybe they maybe they stood above the normal class of people. This was high fluting people that were hung out down here. Yet, Paul was ready to go, and Paul was ready to preach, and Paul was unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You know, that is, that is such a critical part of this point here, that everyone, you know, again, as I mentioned this morning, there's these churches out here that said you need to do certain things, that you have to believe certain things, you have to... Uh, you have to throw water a certain way and do works a certain way and you have to go to church on a certain way. Jesus says there's one way. <laughs> That's it. It is so simple that we just overcomplicate it. Jesus says there's one way. Call upon me. That's it. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. It is so simple. When you get saved, we, rec we recognize how simple it really is. And for us to explain to the lost, or better yet, to explain to the unwilling, it gets very complicated. You know, I, I remember once uh, I, was, I was witnessing to a man, and he tells me, he says, well, I just, uh, I don't think I believe. He says, God's never really done nothing for me. Man, I was just crushed to hear this, and, and I started getting deep in theology, and then I and then I just remember telling myself to shut up and give him a track because I was getting in too deep, and I was getting so bad that I was confusing myself on what I was trying to tell him. You know, we don't have to over overplay the gospel. It's of the power of God. 
It is being, being unafraid and being unashamed to share the gospel. Doesn't mean that we have to be some, some theologian. Doesn't mean that we have to be so diverse in this word that we overcomplicate what it means to the world. There's one way. You call on Jesus and you let him take care of it. There's no work for us. You know, the gospel and it's certainly news, but it's more information. It is uh, an inherent power, as it said here, about being the power of God. The gospel's not an, not necessarily an, an advice to people. Even though there's plenty of warnings, it is a suggestion that they lift themselves up. It is the power that God draws them nice. It is, it is not a suggestion that says, hey, you know, it's probably a good idea that you get saved. No, it's not a suggestion. It's a way. It is the way. It is the only way. We don't have to overcomplicate this gospel. Luke 2 and 30 says, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. That's what we should tell people. Mine eyes have seen it. My heart has felt it. You know, you're not always going to get these, these hairs standing up on your arms on the back of your neck when you preach the gospel. I do a lot of times, but that's me. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit said, okay, let me pull one at a time, make sure you're awake, right? That's just how I feel when I get excited about preaching. I get excited and the, the hair stands up on my arms and the back of my, and I get that, that feeling that, man, I've just about got someone to, and I just want to snatch him up and say, come on, man, you're almost, you're almost there. Just come on. We don't have to get crazy about the gospel. We don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. We don't have to be ashamed that we don't understand every single word that the gospel has that the gospel says. But we can sure talk about that salvation that's in us. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You know, in particular, this city of Rome thought that they knew all the power. The power was one thing of Rome uh, that boasted about. You see, Rome wanted to control all these other places. They wanted to dictate all these places. They wanted to charge the taxes in all these places. They wanted to control who was able to talk and who was able to do this other stuff. But Paul was unashamed. Despite all their powers, the Romans, like all men, were powerless to make themselves righteous before God. You know, they tried to lift themselves up, but they couldn't. This ancient philosopher, uh, Seneca, called Rome a cesspool of iniquity. And the ancient writers, Juvenal, called them a filthy sewer in which the dredges of the empire flood. Yet Paul feared not and was unashamed to preach the gospel. Acts 13 and 26 says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of salvation sent. You see, there were still people for Paul to reach. There were still people. Even though there was going to a place that was uh, popular, a place that was probably happening, a place where they're, oh, if you can imagine today's club scene, if you will, where they got to hang out and do the filthiness that we just, that we just read one of these commentators talk about. If you could imagine going there, Paul wasn't afraid to go there and preach to them the gospel because he had seen the gospel's power to salvation comes to everyone who believes. God will not withhold salvation from one, from anyone who believes, but believing is the only requirement. It is so simple. For the Jew first and also the Greek. You know, these, these people that are preaching that uh, only a select few 
Man, you were you were missing you were missing a whole lot of scripture if you believe that only a select few are going to be called to be saved. You were missing a whole major point. The Bible said, "Whomsoever calls shall be saved." Verse number 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Well, this morning I read to you a whole faith chapter and about all these men who live by faith. This, this righteousness of God, of God is revealed. Simply, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. This revelation of God's righteousness comes to those with faith, Fulfilling uh, prophecy. Habakkuk 2 of 4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. There's nothing else. We live by faith. It's, faith is the evidence of things unseen. We, should, we need to know that. You know, again, we don't have to be these deep theologians to explain you know, uh, these things of you know, a lot of times we use a reference ice cubes or we use this stuff that, that you're going to breathe air and you're going to have faith that if I open up and suck in air, I'm going to breathe it and be okay, right? But to have faith in salvation, it is so simple. The essential part to understand is exactly what the righteousness of God revealed by the gospel is. It does not speak to the holy righteousness of God that condemns the guilty sinner, but the God kind of righteousness that is given to the sinner who puts their trust in Jesus. John 3 and 36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abide in him. You know, there's a difference on the way to deliver that message. It is the righteousness of God that saves us from our own selves, our own sin. Righteousness is not the righteousness of even the most holy men, nor the righteousness of the innocence of, of people who think they're innocent, or people who think that, well, I'm a good person. Even Adam himself had to stand before God. It is a righteousness of God. Thus faith, this, this trust in Jesus, becomes the basis of life for those who are justified or righteousness. Uh, truly, the just shall live by this faith. They are not only saved by faith, but that uh, they live by this faith. Galatians 3 and 11 says, But that no man is justified by the law of the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Verse number 18, our text says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all un ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The idea is simple but sobering that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against the human race, against the race that deserves the wrath of God, against those that sin, that deliberately sin. You know what sin really is? I mean, think about this for just a second here. What sin really is, or, or, or better yet, who sin is against? God says, thou shalt not. Therefore, if I do it anyway, I'm committing sin against him. Yes? Does that make a whole lot of sense? You know, I, I, I preached a message here a couple weeks ago how we, how we expect a, 
judge, local judge, to uphold rules and regulations. How we expect police officers and law enforcement to uphold rules and regulations. Would we not expect the same righteous God to uphold the rules and regulations that he tells us? He tells us that you are going to be judged. He tells you, here's, here's a list of things that I don't want you to do. And if we do them anyway, whose laws are we breaking? Granted, we fall under grace, right? We can't because we struggle with the laws. We fall under grace of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't give us the right, the, the, the right to go out and break those laws. Doesn't give us the right to go out and sin, God forbid. But to understand that righteousness and who we truly sin against. It may just change our opinion, you know, when we're gonna make these rules, when we're gonna break the rules, or, or we're gonna stand over here in the way in the gray areas. You know, just because the, the laws of man out here change doesn't mean that the law of God does. It doesn't mean that we as Christians should be okay with some of those changes. You know, Brother Frank and I were talking this morning about some things uh, that, that we shouldn't be surprised about that might just happen, you know. And, and uh, let me see if I can dance around one of the conversations that we talked about. But to get into the second half of our conversation was don't be surprised if... They open up a, a marijuana store here in town or close by. After all, they open up the liquor stores. And now the world sees it as equal. It's okay. It's okay to come on down and partake. Well, is it okay? Well, I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. I mean, if, if it draws away from uh, the clarity, if it draws away from the uh, from from my wants and desires to do godly things, then is it okay? I mean, I, I understand the arguments. And again, this is not a debate, okay? So don't get me wrong before I get too well, far off on the deep side. The arguments of taking some of this stuff because it's no worse for you than other stuff, or maybe even better for you than some of the prescription drugs that the doctors are giving out, doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing. Because if it takes away from your focus, well, let me, let me rephrase it one more time there, and then I'll get off this subject. If you're taking something that is leading you to a willfully sin, then you shouldn't be taking that something. Does that make more sense? Everybody follow me now? If I'm going out and saying, you know what? Bible doesn't say I can't have a beer. But if I go out and have several beers and I decide that I like the girl next door better than my wife, it's led me to that point, then I probably shouldn't have that first beer to begin with. All right, now we're off that subject. <clears throat> All right, verse number 18. Did I read that one already? Nope. For the wrath of God is revealed, I did read that one, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. See, this is, it's, un, it's revealed to us uh, what sin is. It's revealed. God gives us his direction. God gives us his point. He tells us what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. It is not a surprise. <laughs> At least it should not be. 
that this stuff is sinful. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. This idea is simple but sobering. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against the human race, against the human race, and it deserves the wrath of God. The wrath of God, we sometimes object to the idea of the wrath of God because we equate that with, with humanism or, or human anger. And we say, well, you know, you shouldn't be angry at somebody. And, you know, if you get slapped on one cheek, you should turn the other cheek. The wrath of God doesn't tell you that. The wrath of God says, if you sin against me, you shouldn't be surprised that I chastise you like a child of God, especially if you're a Christian. <clears throat> Ephesians 5 and 6 says, Let no man deceive you with your vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The wrath of God, when you go out there and break the 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 commandments that God tells you, you can't be surprised when the wrath of God slaps upside your silly little head and says, I told you not to do that. Just as you would whoop that child for doing something they weren't supposed to do, or you would punish that child for doing something they wanted to do, the wrath of God, tenfold, <laughs> you deserve what you got. Romans 1 and 16, Paul speaks of that salvation, but what are we saved from? You ever think about that question? You ever think about what we're saved from? <laughs> I think about that question. First and foremost, we're, we're saved from the wrath of God and that we deserve. You know, like I said in, 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 in uh, Revelations, those whose names not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. That is the wrath of God for those that reject Jesus Christ, for those that reject the gospel, for those that reject God Almighty. They got them a nice warm place to spend eternity and think about what they've done. And this ain't going to be a timeout. This is forever. The wrath of God tells us. So what am I saved from? Man, I am saved from myself. I'm saved from myself and from me being a sinner, but I'm saved from the wrath of God. Because Jesus bore those sins. For the wrath of God is revealed. Ungodliness, this refers to the offenses against God. This unrighteousness refers to the sin of man against man. And who suppose uh, or suppresses and who holds the truth of, of unrighteousness? Mankind does in his and in, in fact he tries to suppress that truth of God. We try to we try to change and bend the rules. We try to widen the gray areas in life and say that things are okay when things aren't okay. Even the truth revealed to man by God has been fought against and disregarded and, and deliberately uh, obscured. Acts 17 and 30 says, In the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know, John preached a really good message, and he preached a really short message. He says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's it. Drop the mic. We are done. You wish. <laughs> Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you, do you hear what those words mean? Change your ways. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can have heaven. You can have glory. You can have riches untold. You can have fellowship. You can have joy. Change your ways. Stop doing what you used to do. Verse 19 says, because 
that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God hath showed it unto them. This means, this, this words in them means to them. He showed it to them. God showed it. In Acts 14 and 17, uh, 14 and 17 says, Nevertheless, he hath not himself without witness, in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filled our hearts with food and gladness. He showed us. See, God, God, you know, people want to say that when we want to see a miracle or we want to see something. We want to see proof. You know, God gave us proof. He gave us his only begotten son. And you know what we did with that proof? We nailed him to the cross. So these people are out here walking saying, show me, show me, show me. God says, I showed you. Now you live by faith. Verse number 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even this, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God is showing us something. He's showing us of his internal power and his divine nature. Through creations, by, uh, by him, all things are made. He has given the general revelation that is that should be and that is obvious both in creation and in the minds and in the hearts in man he has shown us uh, verse 19 uh, psalms 19 to 1 uh, this is to the chief musician the psalm of david says the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament showeth his handiwork don't you just love out there when you see the sunrise and the sunset and you ever you ever you, i know you've heard this but maybe you said god sure paints a pretty picture don't he Amen. How was that lake this evening when you sat down? God just paints a pretty picture, doesn't he? Man, we get to see God's glory every single day. He shows us. He's revealed to us what he can do and what he has done. It's clearly seen, this universal character of his revelation and the clarity of it. It leaves man without excuse. We won't have an excuse. You know, when that day of judgment comes, there won't be an excuse. It's done too late. Uh, let me see here. Without uh, mentioning names or religion, if you bless a tomb before you can enter a church and you pray to God to please accept this, the holy person, it's already too late for that person. You're blessing an empty tomb. Because when your last heartbeat and your last blink of an eye and your, and, and your last breath, you're already there. So you can bless and you can sprinkle water and you can, you can do whatever you want to this empty tomb, but it does them absolutely zero, zero good because that decision has already been made. That's why it's so important that we make that decisions here and now. That everything that we do, like I said this morning, is a choice. It is a choice between the good fruit and the bad fruit. It is, there is no excuse. It's clearly seen. John 1 and 9 says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Man cannot charge God with hiding himself because they uh, they are lit up. It has been seen. It has been showed. He has told you. He has told me. He said, this is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. If you don't do it, you get the wrath of God. And you can't be surprised. Verse 21 says, because that 
When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. All they knew, although they knew God, they just didn't glorify him. The problem was that man didn't know who God was, but that he did know him, yet he refused to glorify him. Like I spoke earlier about having this witness, having this sign. He gave us a sign and we nailed him to a cross. Therefore, mankind is without excuse. 2 Kings in 17 and 15 says, And they rejected his statutes and his, and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimony which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain. And they went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not uh, do like them. Instead of glorifying God, they transformed this idea of Him into forms and they made images more comfortable and more corrupt and more fitting for what their personal uh, belief was at that time. Jeremiah 2 and 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and have become vain. You see, they knew God. And that's why I pick on the children of Israel a lot. Because as I, as, I, as I walk beside them in Scripture when I'm studying, as I picture as I picture them weeping in the wilderness and telling God, it says, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Would it not be better for us to be back here in, e- in Egypt, left captive? And they were hungry, and they were starving, and God fed them. And they were thirsty, and God gave them water. And they were being hunted, and God spared their lives, and he drowned the, the, the Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. And the first opportunity they got, they made a golden calf. Therefore, mankind is without excuse. Instead of glorifying God, they transformed this idea. They knew God. It was no good to them just to know God, for they glorified Him not as God, and they walked in vanity. Ephesians 4 and 17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Verse number 22 of our text says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became, they became fools. It is absolutely essential that we uh, constantly compare our own conception of God against the reality of who God is and who God reveals Himself to us in His Word. We should be challenging our every move. We should be challenging our every thought. And we should be understanding, is that, is that, how does that compare to what God tells me? Am I living up to what God tells me I ought to be? Am I being a Christian that God tells me that I ought to be? Professing to be wise, they became fools. You see, they thought they knew better. They thought that they could do it their way. They wanted it the Burger King way. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. They wanted it their way. They didn't want it his way. And they paid that ultimate price for that. Our rejection of God's general revelation does not make us smarter, nor does it make us better. Instead, it makes us mankind futile in our thoughts. It makes us foolish. It makes our hearts darken and we become fools. 
Verse number 23 says, And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like an incorruptible man and to the birds and the four-footed beasts and the creepy things. You know, this, this image in, in uh, verse 23 is, is the ancient Greek word for icon. It is a dangerous thing to change the glory of the incorruptible God. This word icon or image of your own choosing, choosing something. Can you imagine, who in the world is going to compare God to a golden cow? My goodness. I mean, I could have come up with something better. I mean, this, but they wanted this. How about the golden Buddha? How about these other things? I mean, they, we've got these things that we're worshiping that are just, oh, it just makes you wonder what in the world is going on out there. Don't it? I mean, but we are, we are such creatures of habit. We want something tangible. We want something we can hold on to. We want to polish that little belly and see and that little golden lamp and see if a genie comes out to give me my three magic wishes. People done lost their minds. Deuteronomy 4 and 16 says, Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make your, you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on earth, the likeness of a winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. Lest ye corrupt yourselves. God tells us not to make an image of anything. First of all, we can't compare God to any of these things. He's the creator of all. He says, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make yourself grave an image. The fact is, once a man rejects the truth of God and Jesus, he will fall for anything foolish and trust far more feeble and, and fantiful systems that when he rejects from our God. The, the futility of thinking, the darkening of the heart, the folly must be seen as example of God's wrath against all those who reject him. Yibbida yibbida, that's all folks. <laughs> Don't do it! <laughs>